Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Amina Tussauds. And I'm Anne Friedman. One thing I have always really loved about this holiday for myself is like the real prompt to slow down and be grateful for the vast amount of love and resources and safety and comfort in my life. A lot of people cannot either afford to do that or do not have, you know, family structures that allow for for that kind of just like traditional the fake like what Thanksgiving should be, like that image. And and this year, like um a lot of past years, I have made a decision that I am not shopping on Black Friday because I actually don't need anything and it really just illustrates again this like culture of excess that we live in and instead i have tried to really redirect my money towards causes that i um really care about or give it to people who are doing good work and one of these organizations is the okra project which is a wonderful org that basically combats food insecurity in the black transgender community And so to that end today I talked to Ebony Durer who is the financial manager at the Oka project and she just really really blew um my mind and is such a wonderful person and has so much to say about the issue of food insecurity within the trans community about how we can all better show up It just really showed me the possibilities of really investing in something over the long term. Hello. Hello. Happy Thanksgiving. Are we saying that? Yeah. <laughs> Be happy Thanksgiving. Happy day after Thanksgiving. Uh Thanksgiving, I will say in the canon of American holidays is my favorite holiday from like a social standpoint. But you can't like stand too hard because it's not great. It's not great. Regardless of like not being able to do the normal things we might be doing this time of year, I am still excited for the break from work and from the everyday. Like I'm kind of excited for a further slowdown. Like any any minor change to the schedule is exciting, so I guess I'm like still appreciating it on that front even though <laughs> I am not having in-person dinner or traveling or seeing people outside of my household. I have to say Thanksgiving dinner it's a dinner I like it's just a dinner I like it's all the starches I like I actually don't know this about you Anne what is your favorite um Thanksgiving like um like a food that you like at Thanksgiving I mean as evidenced by my cavalier attitude about sitting down to Thanksgiving dinner in general um as you have witnessed I mean, firsthand in years I past I mean it um, is truly it's like one big place that we differ Yes, I have to say as someone who does not eat turkey and you know like I really love the sides you won't be surprised to hear that a vegetable side is really key to me love a buttery roll preferably made at home like the past couple years that I've hosted Thanksgiving I have I have made some rolls from scratch and that brings me a lot of joy you will also not be surprised to hear that I really enjoy the kind of like 
long game of like a languorous snack and cocktail hour followed by a meal, like followed by a break, followed by like a buffet of desserts. Like I really enjoy the the production of it all. But like the actual what is on the table for a traditional American Thanksgiving dinner is of largely little interest to me. It's like it's like the same vegetable sides that I would enjoy eating any other time of year that don't really feel particular to Thanksgiving. It's like that's like when I say I'm not a pet person, people are always scandalized when I'm like <laughs> Thanksgiving food, I'm not interested. <laughs> I mean, listen, here's the deal about the food. As someone who eats meat, I don't fuck with turkey. Turkey is just not she does not make an appearance on my Thanksgiving table <laughs> traditionally. You know, um, like she's not hydrated. You you only you know, like she, things that are fully hydrated. Yeah, no, she is just not a star. The <laughs> one time like I've never liked a turkey and the one time I enjoyed the turkey was um someone made a deep fried turkey in Texas. And I had it and I was like, oh, this girl tastes different. But like, you know, then you see how it's made and you're like, I'm not trying to burn this entire town down. Deep fried turkey has the same like fire potential as gender reveal. So no, (laughs) thank you. Like it's just it is just not worth it. Yeah, she's she is boring. I don't know, but I also really like stuffing. And the only time in my life I eat stuffing is at Thanksgiving. Like it occurs to me that you could probably have it like any day. But I really like I like the fact that, you know, I have it within this like 48 hour window in my life. Mm -hmm. And that's about it. You know, and then the fall vegetables are good. But if I'm honest, like Thanksgiving food to me is not um, it's not super exciting. It's just the immaculate vibes of what a Thanksgiving dinner can be or a Thanksgiving day can be with people that you like. That is truly what I enjoy about it because if you are like us and you get to enjoy like a reprieve from work and a slowdown kind of in your life, which is such a privilege. Totally. um, I get to spend some like deep time with people who are like my family. And I really enjoy that. I enjoy that we get to like eat in this specific way I enjoy that we get to cook together and just yeah you're right it's like the production <laughs> the production of of Thanksgiving is good and the production value of my Thanksgivings has been iconic over the years save that one Thanksgiving that you and I um, spent together okay that still had great production value just in a very different way that Thanksgiving did not have great production value at all and honestly I cannot like if there was ever a moment in our friendship where I was like wow this is the make or break era, like this is the flop era of this friendship that Thanksgiving dinner was the flop era of our friendship. I love it because it actually occurred during a very strong and robust era of our friendship. Like the emotional (laughs) flop era of our friendship was a very different time. Like if that Thanksgiving dinner had occurred, like if I, if I had been, and I ate a tuna sandwich that Thanksgiving dinner, like no, thank you. I know I had lukewarm Mac and cheese from the hot bar at Albertsons. I know like, like truly, truly, um, truly something that like, I think proved, the strength of our friendship in that moment but yeah and I I don't know I do feel like some of this is like the banality and horror of whiteness where like I was talking to a friend about like her Chinese American Thanksgiving dishes and I was like that sounds fucking amazing like I actually think that like my issue is with my particular cultural inheritance of Thanksgiving dishes and when I am back to doing Thanksgiving with groups I'm going to be looking a little harder at like, how have other people been celebrating this holiday for years and years and years? Not just like throw in some new veggie sides, but like, let's rethink this from top to bottom. 
I mean, I don't want to get into a polemic about what like white people food TM is. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to I don't want to ruin my day or start anything. It's like the the traditional like dishes of Thanksgiving can be very boring, but also you can make it whatever you want to make it. And I just I miss the people. I miss traveling like Thanksgiving is usually a time for me where I'm not home. This is, I think, my first Thanksgiving in New York ever, actually, like ever at all over a decade. First time, you know, and that's going to be weird. Like I'm just like longing for a trip with chosen family where you get to just like have this ritual and be together. But also not to always be this person during quarantine. Um. I just, I still, I feel really lucky that I get to have like a Thanksgiving at all, you know, like a semblance of Thanksgiving at all. And for as cheesy as it is, you know, like good things still happened for me this year, you know, and some years you really have to sit with just the the fact that, um, you know, the year is hard, but you're still here. And reflecting on that, I think for me, at least like every year has been really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I fully echo that. Like one thing I have always really loved about this holiday for myself is like the real prompt to slow down and be grateful for the vast amount of love and resources and safety and comfort in my life. And so that is definitely true, perhaps truer this year than any other year when when we were doing camera ready spreads at dinner with like, you know, our loved ones in person. Mm. the only thing that is going to remain is that i'm still going to watch the big chill my favorite movie about white people and i'm very excited about that some traditions just never die i mean what a great tradition i should develop a like movie related thanksgiving tradition that sounds like that sounds extremely comforting and something like i gotta say that's another thing i love about a holiday like this like the the idea that like i could just start this i'm like yeah like i'm gonna i don't have a movie that i watch every thanksgiving but like it's time to declare one and that's just going to like be a comforting tradition moving forward i love it i really um yeah the diy aspect of holidays like this I mean, Adam's family values all the way for you. <laughs> oh my I, like, God. I can't tell. In the canon of Thanksgiving movies, I believe that is the highest watermark for Thanksgiving movies. Mm-hmm. Yes. I also don't think it necessarily, like, you know, has to be um, explicitly related to the holiday. Like, I mean, I, I feel like I associate the blockbuster movies of, like, the 1970s with Christmas with my mother and, like, her siblings because it's, like, what my mm. aunts and uncles would put on, like, when we're all just sitting around. So it's, like, that's how I watch Star Wars or whatever, you know? Um, and so it doesn't necessarily have to be, like, a, a movie that is directly tied to the holiday so much as just, like what brings comfort to me like what maybe maybe i'll pick something that's like an extravagant food movie and that will be like a thanksgiving watch like i'm thinking about this i mean you have you have so many options here you've got mail is technically a thanksgiving movie what yeah i do not Um, remember that at all knives out thanksgiving movie sweet november thanksgiving oh my god sweet november Scent, scent of a woman Thanksgiving movie. If you want like a like ridiculous action movie, what is that movie called? Tower Heist is a Thanksgiving movie. And then there's the entire like rom-com canon of 
movies where someone goes home and, you know, like someone goes home to their small town and sleeps with someone, with everyone, with someone or everyone. There's all of those. Um, Mistress America is a Thanksgiving movie. Uh, I don't even know what Mistress America is. Oh my God, a great Greta Gerwig movie. Come on. How have you not watched the, like, the white people canon of Thanksgiving movies? This is... (laughs) This is wild. Um, Woody Allen's Hannah and Her Sisters is an iconic Thanksgiving Mm, movie. So, you know, but like a controversial recommendation. So if you can separate the art from the artist, a revisit. And if you cannot, that is also fine. Separating the art from the artist. Like, I do feel like a canonical Thanksgiving challenge. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That is really like true beyond the realm of movies. You know what I mean? White supremacy. (laughs) White supremacy. Can you you separate the art from the artist? (laughs) (laughs) And then, oh my God, what is that Sarah Jessica Parker movie where she like, uh, where she fucks up the frittata? You know what I'm talking about? The Family Stone. Yes. Yes. The Family Stone. Iconic. Uh, is it Christmas or Thanksgiving? No, I can't remember. I thought it was Christmas, but I mean, look, I am as established far from You know, from honestly, expert. Anne, you're probably right. It is probably Christmas because there was snow. In the, but you know, who knows? Who cares? That movie is ridiculous. And once upon a time on Tumblr, Bobby Finger wrote the like best review of it. And I will go and find it after this okay. and probably watch it. I just Googled and uh, there are many images of Diane Keaton with like a high necked like collar shirt in front of a Christmas tree so I think that that solves that right there you're right it's there's two kinds of like rom-coms either you go home for Thanksgiving and you sleep with everyone or you go home for Christmas and you sleep with everyone but also it's okay to watch a Christmas movie at Thanksgiving it's just like it's the season is now open fully well here's the deal so Thanksgiving movies good food confrontation with like white supremacy in general and being really confronted with the fact that we live with very deep inequality Mm -hmm. that is obviously manifested even in the way that we talk about food at all is about excess and so much about thanksgiving is about excess it's just like oh my god like gorge and then you know there's always like 20 dishes on the table and all of these things and that does not really um line up with the reality that actually a lot of people cannot either afford to do that or do not have, you know, family structures that allow for for that kind of just like traditional, the fake, like what Thanksgiving should be, like right. that image. And indulging in that fantasy is for whatever, for the day is maybe good, but I think that it would behoove all of us not to suspend, not to suspend like everything that we know about the fact that this season is hard for a lot of people. It's hard for people who are not like settled in whatever their their family structures are. It's hard for people who are struggling with um, financial realities. It is it's hard for people who have mental health issues. It is it's just hard. No, it is hard, and it's also hard for people who are um, not sort of like acutely hungry or in pain right now to really square the fact that they slash we, I mean, I'm talking about myself here, are doing okay at a time when a lot of people are not for really, really deep structural reasons that we're all working on and voting on and marching on and like organizing on, right? But then there is also this short-term aspect. And I think that we are really interested in this episode and the subsequent episode in talking about some of the people who are kind of stepping into that void and saying like, look, we do not live in a society that makes sure that everyone's basic human right to a full stomach is 
is met. Here is what we are going to do in the interim. And I think like, it's always helpful for me to hear from people who are stepping into that void because I think it feels it feels so crucial like as we do this long game work which we're always talking about to figure out a way to also acknowledge the current reality and like to really step up and say like it's not enough to take a moment to say that we're grateful for all we have there is also a short term requirement whereas wherein if you are living in in relative comfort right now figuring out how to extend a little bit more comfort to someone who is not. Mm-hmm. And this year, like um, a lot of past years, I have made a decision that I am not shopping on Black Friday because I actually don't need anything. And it really just illustrates, again, this like culture of excess that we live in. And instead, I have tried to really redirect my money towards causes that I um, really care about or give it to people who are doing good work. And one of these organizations is the Okra Project, which is a wonderful org that basically combats food insecurity in the Black transgender community. They've been doing some like wonderful work around resistance and urbanism and really highlighting how we can all show up to be better stewards of the world that we are living in. And so to that end, today I talked to Ebony Durr, who is the financial manager at the Okra Project, and she just really, really blew um, my mind and is such a wonderful person and has so much to say about the issue of food insecurity within the trans community, about how we can all better show up. It just really showed me the possibilities of really investing in something over the long term. Mm. And also something like very specific, right? You know, instead of just saying black trans folks matter or whatever, saying like, no, this is a really specific way I'm going to show up for that community. Yep. Here is Ebony in her own words. My name is Ebony Durr and I'm the financial manager at the Okra Project. Hi, Ebony. I would love to hear how you became involved working at the Okra Project. Sure. So I had started off as just like a follower of the Okra Project, like many of us are. I followed them on Twitter for about a year or so. And they just ended up like posting online that they were looking for people to work with them. And well, how could I turn down the opportunity to work in, in service of my fellow Black trans people? Yeah, you know, I was reading recently this really disturbing figure that um, about 34%, I believe, of Black trans people report that they're living in extreme poverty. I'm wondering if you could talk a little about what, you know, the factors are that contribute to that number. I mean, I think that the biggest factor that contributes to that number is the fact that Blackness and transness, when they come together, it's this very interesting intersection of we live in a society that very much so forces both of those identities to exist on a margin. And so it's like when you exist on a margin, that means that in order to actually be comfortable in your identity and truth, you have to sacrifice so many things. And that's support and access to even just other people, let alone those other people being able to give you a job or letting you sign a lease or, you know, even just showing up for you and determining that you're even worthy of acknowledgement, you know? So I think that that number definitely comes from just, you know, just the simple fact that we live in a society that really demonizes that identity. And when you're demonized and marginalized, where do you, like, what else could be done? Mm -hmm. 
The mission of the Ochre Project says that the Ochre Project is a collective that seeks to address the global crisis faced by Black trans people by bringing home-cooked, healthy, and culturally specific meals and resources to Black trans people wherever we can reach them. What is a culturally specific meal? I think that when it comes to when it comes down to culturally specific, that really means like you recognize this. So it's not like we're just bringing you food like it's just a cooking drive and someone is just preparing something that is there for everyone. We are coming to your home to create a meal for you. What do you want to eat? Or rather, what does the background of the individual chef, you know, what do they offer in their ability to be able to prepare for you, really being able to just open the lines of that communication where it's like, it's not just feeding someone, giving someone a meal, it's sharing a meal, you know, it's actually having that conversation, that dialogue being possible. Uh, I, you know, that's so important. And I think like something that's so powerful also is just this idea that someone actually comes into your home to cook for you, which that, you know, the, it, that feels like a real luxury almost. It's That's the way that we've always framed that. Like, oh, you have a private chef or your life is really luxurious. But um, I love the the framing around this is actually how you create community. And also that this is a luxury that can be afforded to anyone in any community. And I'm sure that there is like a very, there is like a really powerful explanation for why it's framed that way. Yes, there definitely is. Um, in fact, it's, even just so relevant that we're having this discussion around Thanksgiving because it was around the holidays, around two years ago when our founder, Ian, you know, felt this call to even form the Ochre Project. And it was initially formed just to be a very short term project, like literally project um, that was just supposed to help alleviate the loneliness that people were feeling around the holidays, Black trans people, because they didn't have, you know, people, homes to go to to begin with, let alone families in them that were creating meals with them and sharing meals with them and having that space of feeling like, you know, support. And so the Ochre Project was started wholly to offer that space, to offer the space of here is somebody that is in your home with you to share time with you during the holidays. You're not alone. You have your community and you have the support and backing of that that was something that was just so deeply needed, not just around the holidays, but 365 days a year, Black trans people need that support. And it's proven by the fact that the Okra Project is not just a project anymore. It is a coalition now. We're here to stay. And so long as Black trans people need to be fed, we've been and will continue to be feeding them. How has the pandemic changed the way that you are operating? So the pandemic has definitely changed a lot about the Oka project. The way that the Oka project existed before the pandemic is definitely not the same now, but there have been a lot of challenges, but also so many successes. Right now, our biggest challenge is our direct chef services. That's changed mostly in the sense of, I mean, you can't go inside people's houses <laughs> during the wow. pandemic. So it's really looking like shifting our direct chef services to finding a kitchen where our chefs can make these meals. And then unfortunately it does sort of diminish the personable aspect of it, of having the meal created in your home, but still just being able to have a delivery service where black trans people are still being able to receive home cooked meals from other black trans people. 
Yeah, you know, there were all these um, reports at the beginning of the pandemic that there was a lot of um, like good financial support for the Ochre Project that people were donating a lot. I personally mm-hmm. think that people can never donate enough money. So I'm like, please, please keep giving. But I'm also like curious what your take is on why it has really resonated with people. Well, I think the reason that it's probably resonated with so many people is that because, and because honestly, the people that donate to the Ochre Project, we're not just receiving donations from Black trans people, we're receiving donations from pretty much everybody and anybody. And I think it's because people understand the mission and the purpose of the organization, the purpose of why people need to have this space and community to know that they are not just supported because it's beyond support. When you feed someone, you're not just supporting them. You're literally nourishing them as a person, their soul. And I think that everybody can resonate with that. Everyone can resonate with the importance of food. Everyone can resonate with the feeling of loneliness. And I think everyone, everyone sees some form of like how the issue does pertain to them. We've also just started offering so many other programs and services. So like outside of simply just our direct chef services. So it could be anything. Yeah. Can you tell me more about those, um, you know, like the, the ways that you're expanding the services? Yeah. So two other programs that we're really focused on right now are our Nina Pop and Tony McDade Mental Health Fund, which what that looks like is essentially free therapy for Black trans people with a Black therapist. And the way that that works is people can donate their sessions. We as the Ochre Project have simply donated a set amount of money to pay for these sessions. And people can donate their personal sessions. People can donate money to help continue pay for the sessions. And yeah, it just looks like Black trans people being able to have access to free therapy services on the basis of their choosing. And then our other program is the COVID-19 Relief Fund, which right now that is just us sending funds directly to Black trans people in the time of need uh, for specific lanes of utilities, rent, uh, medical emergencies, like any sort of need that they would incur during the pandemic and probably are unable to handle on their own due to the fact that... People aren't working. Does the Ochre Project have like dream new areas of support that you would like to expand into or um, services that you would like to expand on if financially it was more feasible? I think right now the biggest thing that the Ochre Project would love if it was financially feasible is to really have like a physical space where we could run all of our services out of kitchens, um, a space that people could really call home, sort of like a base for Black trans people to come and gather at a Mecca of sorts. Yeah, I mean, let's all manifest that for 2021. I love a big challenge. No, yeah. Let's take a break.
You know, one of the the things that's both been like really heartening, but also just like very hard is all of this collective momentum that we're seeing surrounding conversations about representation and defunding the police. And I'm sure that the Ochre Project is definitely having conversation with a lot of these organizers and that these, um, you know, these are not new topics for for the community. I am just like wondering for you what it feels like to see topics that are usually, you know, like never at the forefront of conversation, just really be fueled by so much hope in this moment. I am definitely happy to see these movements and these moments just take place on such a large scale because, I mean, we've been crying out for so long, you know, to just be seen. And in the past, there have been waves of, you know, Black Lives Matter and, you know, police brutality. These aren't new concepts, but like this year, they definitely have taken off in a much more dramatic way than they have before. But I think it definitely does come with a sense of like the happiness that it is like with seeing these things come to fruition. There is a sense of sadness because it is recognizing that it's through continued pain. And because even now, I mean, there's still so much more work to be done. So it's like, it's through the continued pain and struggle through which we are able to keep making these efforts, but you actually still have to go through that pain. And you actually do still have to experience that struggle. And I think that is something that is a little difficult to reckon with. Mm, I'm, I really, that is really resonating with me. And I'm really agreeing with that. On one hand, it feels good to see momentum and to, you know, even have like the tiniest bit of hope that things are going to change, but also just knowing how much pain it takes for, you know, for, for these, for all of this to come to the fore of conversation. Exactly. Exactly that. And I think it's like, you know, there's definitely the hope and the resilience that's spread through that. I mean, that doesn't mean that the work stops. We can, we continue to, you know, push forward and we continue to keep fighting because that's how we continue to move forward. But I definitely do think that, you know, just the state of the, with the state of the world right now, it's like seeing the road ahead. Definitely. Sometimes it's just, it's like, wow. We got a lot of work to do still. I mean, I I hear that. And I think that, you know, you are particularly like doing a kind of work that one is so necessary. And also, too, that you're, you know, like you're constantly having to remind other people um, why it's important to, you know, like to, to do this work and to support this work. And so... You know, like, how do you stay, how do you just stay hopeful about doing it? Like showing up day in and day out and really being disciplined about just being hopeful? I think it really comes from the sense of, because what I think what really helps me stay hopeful about it is remembering the fact that at the core, especially as a Black trans person, at the core of my experience with my community, like, when I'm with other Black trans people, when I'm sharing spaces and when I'm in that community, like, I don't ever for a moment even begin to think about the external factors or the circumstances that are happening in our lives. And I think that that's something that is, that can resonate with so many marginalized people. Like you don't really live and exist marginalized until you're in the space that's marginalizing you. You know, when you're separate and when you're by yourself, it almost sort of fades away into the background. I think the thing that helps me remain hopeful are those moments, you know, when I'm with 
when I'm with community and when I'm sharing those spaces, it's like, I remember that this is life I'm living naturally, you know, it's not something that I really have to be disciplined about when I'm just like, I mean, just experiencing those moments of like genuine support and like community. And that's what, and that's just so important that I just continue to bring that to as many people that don't have that as possible. Yeah, you know, one of the things when I first found out about the project, and I love that, you know, I love what you said earlier about like, it was supposed to be a short term, that's why it's project in the name. Um, I love that. Part of what I think made it um, almost like just reflexively easy to say like, yes, I um, this is so aligned with the core things that I support as a human was just how specific the mission is, you know? And saying mm-hmm. like, okay, if you want to make a change, you actually have to be very specific about the kind of change that you want to make. And I wonder, you know, like when when you think about expanding services or you think about all of the, the potential of what it is that we can do together, I wonder how you think about that language, like how we how we ask for people to show up for us and how specific we have to be in those asks. I think what it really lies in the reason at least is that when it comes across so specifically and when you're able to like truly get to the source and name what it is, there's no other conversation that's needed to happen. It doesn't have to get sort of bogged down in the search. Cause I feel like ultimately there is always going to be some sort of search to get to what the core of what you're trying to get at is. So when you're able to just name something and just name it for what it is at its core and what its foundation is, like the Okra Project. We want to feed and nourish Black trans people. When you can name that and you can say that, there's no other questions to be asked. What do you want us to do for Black trans people? We said it. We told you. (laughs) You know. I'm wondering also if you can talk even just about the name, like choosing okra specifically, such a polarizing food, even within the black community. I am 1000% pro okra. So I will always, I'm like, I will always show up. But, um, you know, for the people, for the people who do not know what okra is or why it's significant, can you talk about it a little? Okay, so I will actually preface this with I am 1000% team, like anti okra. <laughs> Goodbye. This interview is over. I am. I am not a fan. No, no, no. But um, why? Why are you not a fan? Is it the texture issue? Is it a what is it? It is definitely, definitely a texture issue for me. I'm not interested. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not interested in what okra has to offer on the inside. This is making me so happy. (laughs) But, um, well, the main significance of okra is that okra was one of the few crops that were actually able to be brought over uh, during, like, times of slavery. That's why it became such a staple in the South. I mean, I think it was okra and rice were two of the things that slaves were able to actually bring with them on the ships and cultivate when they came over to um, America. (laughs) And so the significance of it is that not only is it a linchpin for Black Americans to their roots in Africa, but it was also just significant in the sense that that's what they were literally using to sustain and nourish themselves during probably one of the most perilous times in their experiences and in our our overall ancestral experience. 
because all the experiences that we have as black people are shared and ancestral just by default. I mean, so it's like we still we just call to that and pay homage to that in our work now to heal what will still be felt by hundreds of thousands of black people that will be born in the future. Mm, okra, the the most maligned food that we, we share across the diaspora. <laughs> it's true. Who knew that it could have this level of significance? If, you know, anything that is like viscous, I think usually elicits that. But it's funny. It's like um, in Guinea, where I'm from, we eat okra with rice every single day. Like there's no, like you can't eat rice if you, there's no okra in there. It's almost like what, like the rice is mm. naked. So I did not know the experience of rice without okra. And when I moved to America, I also, I have to say like very naively, I did not know that people who were not African ate okra. Like it was such a, I was like, this is, you know, like I thought it was just like a food that we only ate in West Africa. <laughs> um, like very childish notion. But I, I just love, you know, like, and, and I, like I went to college in Texas and in Texas, I think the first time I encountered okra, it was like fried, obviously. And <laughs> like both offended me and blew my mind at the same time. You know, I was like, what? you can remix the okra you can do something else with it there's something about it to me that is also um obviously food is it's such a shared experience across like all of humanity but having a food that has like such a significance like across the black diaspora and that is so easily recognizable i think is is something that is like really powerful because our food also does not really get to hold the same kind of prestige that other food does, um, you know, other times. So I just, I appreciate like that education as well. I hope that you are hearing the snaps that are coming from in my head because you just said a word with our food not being as appreciated as much, as much as other foods are. That is, that is so, so true. And it's so like deeply rooted in just like colonial lies, you know, where I'm like, what? Like you people colonize the whole world for spices and you don't spice anything in your food. Like this cannot be true, yeah. um, you know? And, and so I don't know. So I think um, it's why I, I've always just long been so interested in, in the work that you all do, because I think that there is such a dignity to the way that we feed people and the way that we, um, we bring like, you know, food as as the as the tie that binds us together in giving people a voice and giving people a space and creating community. And I think that it's just very powerful. Yes, exactly. What you said is exactly the whole entire reason why it's behind our mission, because food is the linchpin. You know, it's the reason why we gather. It's the reason why we come together. It's literally the focus of our celebrations. It's the focus of our celebrations, but it's also the thing that brings us together even when we grieve. Like, any single moment when we gather, there's food present. And the absence of that, not having that is so, so deeply felt because of that very fact when a lack of food is like having a lack of community or like a lack of just basic nourishment of one's mind and soul. So, yeah. Uh, well, you know, as you know, we are entering into a holiday period, which is Tradition says that like we have to be grateful and then capitalism says that we have to be wasteful. They're just all, all of these um, all of these values are at odds with each other. But I would love to hear from you like a way, um, a concrete way that we can support the Okra project and also lazy question in general, how 
people can use their privilege also to support trans and Black-led organizations. How can we do that, like, this holiday season specifically? Well, right now, I definitely think that the most important thing that people can really do right now during this holiday season is just do exactly what you said, is make that effort to even start to want to amplify these voices to begin with. Go out and actually either donate to these organizations, donate to the Okra Project, or donate to any of the other Black trans-led organizations that you have awareness of, or try and go out and find some awareness of some. For us specifically, you know, if you want to really help us, we are definitely trying to work on a food drive this upcoming season. So if you want to just keep an eye out for that and maybe donate food or just resources that um, could be used during these times, that would definitely, definitely be helpful. But, you know, I really think that right now, the and it's been a main theme of 2020, open your purse <laughs> yep. and just give. I think that's fair. You got to put your money where your values are. And before we leave, what is one thing, you know, or something, anything really that, um, you know, for, for cis people who say that they want to support trans people or they want to support trans organizations, what is one thing that you wish they knew or that they realized or that they would just, you know, like a, something that you wish they would just like really internalize deeply? Ooh, I got the thing. What I would love for cis people to internalize and just get it, just get it through their heads and like, like let's move One on for all. <laughs> is that the concept of transness, trans people are not trans because we say we are. We're trans because you say we are. You have determined this and you have labeled our existence in relation to yours because we are not like you. We are trans. Now, while we, now that doesn't mean that the trans, like, that doesn't mean we're not proud to call ourselves trans. Let's not get that twisted. But let's understand that the origins of our identity are created because you determined that there was something different about us to the extent that we needed to be delineated from everybody else. Now, we're happy in our delineation. (laughs) We are happy to exist and share our community, like, you know, but this is not a circumstance that was created or crafted by us. This is all your design, baby. So I just really would love it if we as trans people could just live and exist without now also having to deal with you trying to engage with what it even means to be trans. Like we don't need your voyeurism now that you've also just like, it's just, it's too much. We do not need your voyeurism. People be trans. I'm like, that's it. Literally. Just so it happens. Ebony, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for your voice. Where can we find your work and where can we donate our money this holiday season? So you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, at The Ochre Project. You can find us on our website at theochreproject.com. You can find our donation link on any of our social medias as well as our website too. Wonderful. Um, I am very grateful for you and I hope that you have a wonderful holiday season. Yes, thank you so much. And thank you again for having this moment to really sit down and chat. I really appreciate it. Uh, Thank you for that. Ebony is the best. The Okra Project is the best. If you can afford to, um, please support the work that they are doing. And we'll see you here next week. 
I'll see you on the internet and also next week for another conversation about food justice. You can find us many places on the internet, callyourgirlfriend.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. We're on all your favorite platforms. Subscribe, rate, review, you know the drill. You can call us back. You can leave a voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. You can email us, callyrgf at gmail.com. Our theme song is by Robin. Original music composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. Our logos are by Kanisha Sneed. We're on Instagram and Twitter at callyrgf. Our producer is Jordan Bailey. And this podcast is produced by Gina Delvac.